section one of bismarck and the origin of the german empire by f m powick this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela nagami chapter one bismarck otto von bismarck was born in the year eighteen fifteen a few weeks before the battle of waterloo he belonged to an ancient family of the old mark of brandenburg the source and centre of modern prussia his childhood however was passed among the flat stretches of pomerania upon his father's estates he was educated at Göttingen and berlin where he made the friendship of the american motley and of rune the future minister of war after a brief administrative career and a period of local retirement as a country gentleman he attracted general attention by his activity in the prussian parliament in the crisis of eighteen forty eight during the reaction his rise to eminence was rapid in eighteen sixty two when he was ambassador at paris he became the first minister of king william i of prussia from this time until his fall in eighteen ninety he was the foremost man first in prussia afterwards in germany and finally in europe he died in eighteen ninety eight bismarck was a very tall man of large build but lithe and muscular as well as massive he rarely lacked dignity and never gave the sense of clumsy or wasted effort in a sketch of him drawn at the age of nineteen he is shown in a thoughtful mood sitting with downcast eyes and tangled hair a large firm chin and a look of confidence and self-control as a man he had a round well-shaped head prominent arched eyebrows and keen grey-blue eyes when he was old and wrinkled with the appearance of a big tired dog his eyes never lost their amazing power he was the son of a soldier and country gentleman and was very proud of his origin especially of the fact that his ancestors had fought in all the great prussian wars bismarck always retained the tastes although he lost some of the prejudices of his class he was fond of good fare ate and drank largely and was devoted to the chase he was a master of pithy vigorous and homely speech and believed in the use of force he had by nature a contempt for anything weak sentimental or vague and among the objects of his disdain he included several of the christian virtues it is true that the influences of his friends and of his diplomatic life enlarged his outlook in course of time he stood apart from all parties and preferred the society of men who had a wide training and had perhaps at one time held opposite views yet the ideas which inspired his life as a statesman although they became vaster and more luminous as he gained experience were the ideas of his class his honest belief that those who opposed him were men who put party before country reminds one of a choleric country squire he had the most powerful brain of his time but like all very great men he depended for his strength upon a few simple clear ideas in bismarck's case these ideas did not come slowly they were the convictions of his class he was determined to make prussia great and he was convinced that prussia could only exist if certain social and religious habits and institutions were untouched as one would expect bismarck was a religious man 
from the age of thirty he had a belief in the guidance as well as in the existence of god his mother was of a rationalist turn of mind and like so many young germans bismarck had dabbled in many philosophies before through the influence of his friends maurice von blankenburg and his wife he experienced a mild evangelical conversion his religion was not an artificial reaction against scepticism nor did it involve a theocratic idea of the state both these types of belief were common in his youth but bismarck's religion was simpler and larger he believed that the political and religious traditions of his country were inextricably connected and he moved in such lofty and obscure paths that a personal god was necessary to him if he did not believe in god he once said he could not remain in public life but his god worked through the wrath and energy of political strife his devotions never forced him to pause or hesitate they were rather the power which moved the remorseless engines of his mind he could be passionate and ruthless he was brutal in the exercise of his determination and would lie awake at night indulging in the luxury of hatred bismarck had few friends and formed no very intimate relations outside those of his family and his dogs although his imagination could grasp the affairs of a continent his humanity was stirred by small homely things rather than by the tragedy which lies hidden within great events he was gracious and kindly and could be a charming companion yet but for his interest in his family and his estates he would have been the loneliest of men his devotion to his wife his keen sense of natural beauty his kindly greeting of unimportant strangers were in contrast to his public which was also his inner life he was one of those men who really live in the exercise of their will which often he said outran his thoughts it is impossible to think of him as inactive the years of his retirement do not seem to be part of his life he found himself slowly as a student he lived fast as a young politician he was suspected in spite of his courage as passionate and eccentric even as minister he was for some time lightly esteemed as the incompetent head of a reactionary set but when his energy once found expression and fell under the control of his mind he was irresistible foes and friends alike felt that they were caught up by him as by a vast machine to be destroyed or to be used as he grew older he seemed to have no point of contact with ordinary men to interest him said lenbach the painter one must have something to offer him he worked from nine in the morning till after midnight and like richelieu frequently found the key to his designs when the world was asleep in his old age his brain was like a printing press working incessantly without any paper to print upon he sometimes suffered as all lonely men must from deep despondency especially after the accomplishment of some great task he was so sure of himself that success was but an incident hence he was as impatient of being opposed or thwarted by the exultation of his friends as he was of the intrigues of his personal enemies at the height of his career when the army chiefs of prussia urged the king against his advice 
to follow up the victory over Austria and to march on Vienna. He was so disturbed that he thought it would be better to die. Moderation was as vital to his plans as victory itself. In him, moderation was no sluggish thing, but like all his qualities was a principle of action. There is no historical parallel to Bismarck. Perhaps Richelieu is most like him. The great cardinal had the same power of work, the same periods of melancholy, the same moderation. But his passions were calmer, his mind was less constructive, his irony more impersonal. Both men were ambitious to leave enduring work behind them, not to benefit themselves. But the task which Bismarck set before himself was the more difficult, and he brought to it the spirit of the partisan. Hence it is easier to pass judgment upon Richelieu than upon Bismarck. The latter was no hypocrite. He was small enough, or if the expression be preferred, sufficiently conscious of the ups and downs of current moral standards, to gloss over in his reflections two or three episodes of his career. But he played his part frankly with no attempt at self-deceit. If he played double, it was because he knew that duplicity was one of the weapons of the warfare in which he was engaged. We are not here to sit in judgment, he said in 1866, but to pursue the German policy. Austria's conflict in rivalry with us is no more culpable than ours with her. Our task is the establishment or initiation of German national unity under the leadership of Prussia. Brutality and duplicity are always evil, but they are most harmful in small-minded and self-seeking men. If they are joined with great mental gifts, with unselfishness, industry, and faith in one's country, it is difficult to say that their possessor has done more harm than good. The truth is that under modern conditions the results of moral and intellectual qualities can rarely be distinguished. There have been statesmen who have honestly waited upon events in the determination to choose the truth, but as often as not they have become the victims of circumstance. They have been inconsistent, their apparent hypocrisy has caused great pain and loss of energy in others, and they have frequently had to confess that in trying to do good they have done harm. Those men who choose other than political ways of self-expression have greater opportunities of serving mankind. This is not to say that the men who cannot compromise and are broken on the wheel of politics are not of importance in history. Dante, who climbed the alien stair, was, even as a politician, a more significant man than Bismarck. But those who do take a different course must be judged on the result of all their qualities, especially if, like Bismarck, they are expressing the aspirations of thousands of human beings. End of section 1